All right. Well, at this time, the ushers are going to be coming forward. Can we give a hand for our ushers? These guys are great. Can we give a hand for this guy, Tim Payne, everybody? So they're going to start handing out tracks. So we're giving everybody a brand new track that we uh, wrote here at the church. And uh, tonight, this whole night, this whole event, is 100% the fault of Frank Poyer, everybody, all right? So if you, if you have a good time tonight, thank Frank. And if you don't have a good time tonight, blame Frank. In fact, let's bring Frank up here, everybody. Put your hands together. We're bringing him up. He, doesn't, he does not know this is about to happen. So this is a raw and spontaneous moment in Frank's life that he's sharing with all of us as his church family. Give a, yeah, here's Frank, everybody. So here's... Frank, here, I got you a microphone, so I planned this, even though you didn't know this was coming. So, Frank, do you like evangelizing people? I do like yes. evangelizing people. Yes, we, I know that about you. In fact, you went out with the ice cream truck last night. How was it? It was amazing. It was amazing. I got a text that it was the best night of evangelism ever. I suspected people were praying for us. Yeah, well, it, you had it. You got tell us what you got to talk to somebody. We did. Uh, Fabio from Argentina, and he heard the gospel for the first time. Literally, did not hear it before, um, and he understood. He had broken his leg. He had some injury, and somebody else came up to him, talked to him that day about Jesus. He wanted to know more, so he got the clear gospel. So uh, God brought someone all the way from Argentina, Argentina so you could tell yes, them the gospel, yeah. and, and many others. So here's Frank, guys. He comes to my office, and he just drops one tract after another tract. And he said, "I don't like tracts." Yeah. And so it is all Frank's fault that you guys have this because he bothered me with his persistence <laughs> that overcame my resistance about tracks. So give it up for Frank one more time. I don't want to embarrass him. That's it, Frank. There you go. No. Yeah, you, there's one. Get, make sure Frank gets one. So here's the thing. Frank is right. I do not like tracks because here's what tracks do our theme is that everybody does evangelism christians spread the gospel that's what we do and what what tracks turn into is like i hand you the gospel and then i run away okay and that is the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing when we're out spreading the gospel. So we have designed a track that is not meant to be handed to anyone. It's not meant to be like left under someone's windshield wipers, right? Because we all love it when people do that to us, right? So that's not the point. The point is to try to explain to people the gospel, repentance, and faith. From the beginning of this church, we've been saying those are the three most important words. So I want to show you right now how I would encourage everybody here to use this track that is inspired by and dedicated to Frank. Because I think Frank's going to tell more people the gospel with this track. That's why we made it, all right? So when you open it up to the first page... Uh, many people are going to refer to Jesus Christ. Our presidential candidates are going to refer to Jesus Christ as a great teacher. But if we could summarize the teachings of Jesus into one phrase, one statement that summarizes the teachings of Jesus, what would it be? Well, fortunately for us, Mark has already given us a summary statement of the teaching of Jesus. Read it, read it along with me here. Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
So there's a call to action that Jesus gives us. He's telling us because the kingdom of God is at hand and the time is now, so we better repent and believe in the gospel. So we're saying if Jesus, if we could summarize his teaching into this verse right here, these are then the three most important words. And so the first one is the gospel. So you see, as you would explain this to someone, you wouldn't hand it to them. You would actually visually show them the three most important words. One is gospel. And what it gives you there for each one of these words is it gives you a definition. It gives you a scripture passage to use and then even some more information that you could refer to. So the goal is, we're not just saying, oh, have you heard the gospel, or have you heard repentance, or have you heard faith, but maybe we're using this visual aid to actually read, let's read 1 Corinthians 15, three to four, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Three things that we get that make up the gospel. You got to start with who Jesus is, the Christ, the son of God. What did he do? He died for us and he rose again. So we put that word first because we want to start with the good news and then you turn it to repentance. And here we define repentance. Now, out of the three words that we're going to try to explain, this is the one that people have probably heard about the least. And so we give some definition there. We give an example verse. This is, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent. Well, what does that mean? And turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. So we're turning from our old life of sin and we're turning to God to live for him. It's, it's a radical change of life that you can see from the outside, not just something that happens on the inside. Now, why does our life turn around? Well, it's because of faith. And then we have there Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. So you can read to somebody. So you see how if you started here and you said, hey, can I, can I present to you something? I've got three most important words that I think I would share to you. Or maybe you could start it like this. Hey, have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard about how he's a great teacher? Do you know what the main theme of Jesus' teachings were? Like if you could summarize Jesus in a line, what would it be? And then boom, you open it up. You read a Mark 1.15. Do you know those three most important words? And you explain it to them one at a time. Gospel, repentance, and faith. And let's read Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. We're on faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works. We're not saying you can do anything to be saved. You can't save yourself. There's nothing good enough that you can do so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should then walk in them. All right? So hopefully you're out there and you're trying to share the good news. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. Hopefully you're out there, you're trying to share it. Well, here's now a visual aid that you can use. And if you use it, you give people four passages of scripture in like a minute's time. So I think this is gonna help us get more content to, to more people, that everybody here could go and do this, all right? And I showed this to a lady at our church that I was talking with this afternoon, and she said, wow, this reminds me of the four spiritual laws. Who's ever heard of the four spiritual laws before, okay? Um, and this was something that Campus Crusade, now known as Crew, 
Man, they, they were getting everywhere with the four spiritual laws. Like a, they came out like 20 years ago in the middle of the 1990s. And it wasn't a track that you were handing people. It was a track that you talked people through. And it was kind of a hook. Like, hey, I've got four spiritual laws where after I tell you one, I kind of have to tell you two, three, and four, right? Because I've said there's four of them. Well, I didn't really plan this to be like that. But the three most important words, well, once I tell you one, I got to tell you all three, all right? So I want everybody here to take this and to try to use this to explain to someone the definition of the gospel, repentance, and faith. In fact, we've got a test team that's going to Cal State Long Beach Library tonight, and they're going to start trying this out on those nerds that are in the library on a Wednesday night. We got another test team that's going out to Golden West College tomorrow at lunchtime. They're going to go try this out. I would love for everybody to try this out. And here's the great thing. We wrote this. We published it. We edited it. So if you see any typos, you can blame Frank for that. No, he, had, he didn't. Don't blame Frank. But, uh, but, I mean, we can change it. So if you have feedback, if you have ideas on ways that we could use this as a more even better tool to get people the gospel, repentance, and faith. So this isn't something we're making up. This is what Jesus said, and we're just out there trying to explain it to everybody, okay? Because here's what we're trying to do at this church, and it's a little bit different. We think that everyone at this church should just naturally, as a part of the overflow of their Christian life, should share the good news with other people, family members, neighbors, co-workers, strangers, anybody that we can get in a conversation with, we want to share with them the good news. This is when Christianity has really started to make an impact on the culture around us is when everybody at church considered themselves an ambassador for Jesus Christ. In the 1970s and 80s, there was this thing called the evangelism explosion. Does anybody, does anybody remember that? Anybody know about that? And it was this idea. It started all the way over in Florida by Dr. James Kennedy, and then it spread across America like wildfire, and it was basically this idea. Your whole church should go do evangelism together. That was the idea. And it was like this whole big push in the 80s. And if we want to see something like that happen in America, it's going to have to start with churches thinking, hey, the pastor doesn't do it. It's not guys just like Frank who do it. Everybody goes out there to evangelize. So this is hopefully a tool that equips everybody. You can have better conversations by using this as a visual aid. You can read scripture to people. They can see it. So it's a a visual tool for you to present the gospel. Now grab your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 3. Okay, because we're trying to take evangelism away from the idea that it's something that only the evangelists do or only certain people do. And we're trying to empower everyone here at our church to do it. If there's only one way to be saved and everyone needs to know Jesus, then we need everyone at this church out there telling people because there's too much harvest field out there and too few laborers. And so we're praying that some of you will become laborers if you haven't been telling people that tonight will inspire you. And for those of you who are getting out there with the good news, hopefully this will just kind of take you to a next level here tonight. But, but I just want to challenge the idea that the number one reason, well, there's two main reasons One of the reasons that people don't evangelize 
is they don't know what to say. There's a fear that they don't know what to say, okay? So let's, let's write that down if you're taking notes. Um, they, we're trying to address tonight the fear of not knowing what to say, okay? Um, now, I would encourage everyone, if you don't know what to say, you need to learn what to say, okay? But I still think that there's always going to be room to grow. There's always going to be room to know more. Like the lie that I think really keeps a lot of people from evangelizing, like if I was going to evangelize my Mormon neighbor or my, or my Muslim person that I've met down the street or this atheist over here, well, the lie that I keep hearing is, well, you got to go read a book about Mormonism before you talk to a Mormon. Or you got to go read the Quran before you can talk to somebody who believes in Islam. Or you got to understand completely evolutionary theory and quantum physics and rocket science before you can even talk to an atheist, all right? And none of that is true. Here's what you need to talk to somebody. The gospel, repentance, and faith. That's all you need to do a whole world of good here in this world, all right? So I'm trying to equip you. Now, it might be helpful to read books and to learn more information. I'm not knocking that, but I am trying to disprove the lie that you need to know more to evangelize. No, if you know what you need to know to be saved, then you know what you need to know to pass on to other people. In fact, let me go so far as to say this. Knowing a lot can be a hindrance to real evangelism. Can everybody write that down? Knowing a lot can be a hindrance to real evangelism. Because when you know a lot, you're tempted to start to think that you have something to do with the person's response. When you know a lot, you're tempted to think that your persuasiveness, that the way you lay out the argument, the fact that you know all the scripture, how you say it, you might start to put confidence in yourself rather than in the gospel being the power of God to save people, okay? Um, So what we need to understand is what our role is in evangelism And we're asking the question tonight, what is the real reason why people don't believe in Jesus Christ? Is it because they need to know more information? Is it because we need to have intellectual arguments with them? Is that the real reason people don't believe in Jesus? Is it's hard for them to understand gospel repentance and faith? Read with me John chapter 3. Let's start in verse 16. And this is going to be our text for our time together here tonight. John 3.16. Let's start in something that's familiar and then get into something maybe a little less familiar. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. No, in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So the problem is that people don't believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, wouldn't it be great if the Bible would tell us the secret reason, the real reason why people don't believe? So we could focus in on that. Keep reading, verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. His name was Jesus Christ. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. 
But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The real reason why people don't believe in Jesus is not intellectual. The real reason, if you're taking notes, we haven't even got to point one yet, but you could write this down. They want to sin. That's what it's saying right there. They want to sin. That's what this is really all about. The real reason is not intellectual, but moral. Now, we need to make sure that everybody knows the good news of the gospel, repentance, and faith. That's why we're making this track. That's why we're sending everybody out to go. That's why we hope everybody here will use this to have that conversation. Okay? So there is some information that we need to get out there. But the reason that so many people in America right now are rejecting the gospel, don't want to repent, don't believe in Jesus Christ, is because their works are evil, is what it says. They love dark things. That's where we're at. Okay? So, so yes, there might be some intellectual things. And people are going to say, but what about the man in Africa? But, but I don't know, why, why does God choose some people and not other people? Hey, I don't know, why would Christianity be really the only way? I don't really agree with that. All of those things, hey, we can talk about those things, we can get into that, but they're really red herrings, they're really false clues, they're really not the main point. We're, we're, all those things we end up talking about somebody else, I'm talking to you and I'm asking you, why won't you repent and believe in Jesus Christ? And the reason is they've got sin in their life that they want to do. That's what it's saying here. They don't come to the light because they love the darkness, because the things that they do, their works are evil. That's what's going on, okay? So we're thinking that I've got to go and like intellectually prove to somebody the existence of God, right and wrong, the fact that the Bible's true, the fact that Jesus really did die and rise again and he really was God, and I've got to go intellectually prove all of these things. Hey, you're not going to intellectually prove anybody into the kingdom of God. Let's just make that very clear. In fact, if you start to think that you can do that, we don't really want you on team evangelism here at Compass HB, okay? You're going to go around rubbing people the wrong way with your debate and with your argumentative kind of approach. That's not what we're about, okay? Now, go back to Romans chapter 1 with me. Okay? I'm going to try to give you guys some confidence in things that we know are true, that we can say boldly, the truths, hills that we can die on, truths that we can defend, that you don't have to be an intellectual powerhouse to prove. Now, I'm not trying to make it like, hey, let's not learn more and let's not grow in our understanding. Uh, no, I hope we have many more nights like this where we get into all the details of atheism, Mormonism, and Islam. I'm just trying to mobilize everyone here that you could be a part of our evangelistic team. And here in Romans 1, verse 20, look at what it says. Now, this is a, this is a true statement, whether it seems like it's true in our world or not, whether it seems like people believe it or not, here's what it says in the scripture. Here's what God has said. For his invisible attributes, we're talking about God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse, okay? 
So I understand that the theory of evolution has taken over America. It's taught in the classrooms. It's understood as the way things work in the world to many people. But can we just let the scripture speak here tonight? Can we just say that it is clearly perceived that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth? Anybody want to say amen right now? Do we believe that God is the creator or are we ashamed of it here? Do we believe this? Okay. And can we even say it to other people? Like, like you're going to try to tell me. They're going to think you're stupid because you don't believe in evolution. They might call you a fool. Time out. We live in Huntington Beach. Has anyone ever driven on PCH before? I mean, this, there's people coming from Argentina to see this. I mean, this is a pretty nice place that we live. You're going to tell me that all of this just randomly happened by chance mutations? I mean, do you see the puffy white clouds up there in the blue sky? Do you see the waves coming up against the shore? Do you see the fishermen catching creatures hidden underneath the deep? Do you see the people surfing in the water and playing on the sand? Do you feel the breeze blowing around you? All of that has no designer, no eternal cause who started all of this, no one who beautifully crafted this and deserves credit and praise for it? Are you kidding me? See, we're conceding way too much ground in the fact that it is clearly perceived. There is no excuse. It is self-evident by anybody who's got eyeballs that there is a creator of this place, okay? But, but people don't understand, so I have to explain it to them. No, the reason they don't understand isn't because they, we have to explain it to them, okay? Go back up to verse 18. Look what it said again. Here's why they don't understand the creation. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What is the first truth we talk about here? That God is the creator. So what suppresses the truth of the reality that God is the creator? What does it say here in Romans 1? Not their lack of intellect. Not the fact that they can't understand, and so we need to give them the cosmological argument or the ontological argument. The reason they don't believe God is the creator is they suppress the truth in their own unrighteousness because they're sinning, and they want to keep on sinning. A creator means authority. A creator means design. A creator means guidelines, rules, law, an intended way that the creator made me to live, and I'm not the captain of my own ship. I'm not the master of my own domain. I am a creature. I am of the creator. I'm a created being. That's what it means. It means I'm not the boss of me is what it means. And people, they want to do what they want to do. So what they're doing is they're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Let's get this down for point number one. Something that we should be bold about is creation, and creation is suppressed in unrighteousness, okay? It's suppressed by the sin. Their eyeballs can clearly perceive that this had to have a master designer, I mean, I mean, it's beautiful what God has done. Even in our fallen world, we can clearly behold the glory of God that the heavens are declaring day after day. Let's go down to the pier and let's watch the sunset and let's try to find people who want to believe in evolution at that moment. And let's act like anybody who does. Man, how does that even make sense? Look at that. That just came to be with nobody guiding it, with nobody designing it. 
So, yeah, we speak boldly about creation. The reason that people don't understand isn't because I didn't do a good job explaining creation. It says there's nothing to explain. It says it's plain. Okay? No, it's because they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Go to Romans chapter 2. Look at Romans chapter 2. Here's a second thing that the Bible, Paul in his masterful argument of the gospel here in Romans, he goes after these two things in the first two chapters. First thing he says is don't give up the ground on creation. It's about their their unrighteous sin that they're in. That's why they can't see that God's the creator because they want to sin. And then here in Romans 2, he makes another great argument. Look at verse 14. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. It says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. So here's people who maybe aren't studying God's word, but yet they have this sense of knowing the law innately. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their keyword here, conscience, also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So here's people who have within them this eternal, internal, excuse me, this internal moral compass. So they have this this thing we call a conscience. And when I do something wrong, that's kind of universally recognized. When I am a child and I talk back to my mom, when I lie to my friend, I have this conscience that accuses me, that lets me know I'm not doing something that is right. Now, maybe someone might say, well, hey, you did this, and I'll know in my conscience I didn't do what they said. And so at that point, my conscience would excuse me. I would have a clear conscience. But it says here that your conscience, it has this like idea of accusing you when you do something wrong or excusing you if you know you've done what is right. It says everybody, people, Gentiles being a way to refer to people who don't really have the knowledge of God, who maybe don't understand the scripture, still they have this law. It's like written in their hearts. It's like they're made in the image of their creator and they have his moral framework written into their soul. That's what it's like. And everybody's got one of these. And I don't care what language you speak or what country you live in, you watch a kid slap their mom in the face and you're going to feel like that's wrong. And it's on our hearts. So we have this thing called a, a conscience. People have a sense of right or wrong. Well, I don't know. I know some people, they're out there, they seem to be doing wrong, and they don't even seem to, to feel bad about it. Well, that's because their conscience is seared. Let's get this down for point number two. Here's something else we should be appealing to, is we should appeal to pe- people's conscience, but their conscience is seared by hypocrisy, Okay. Your conscience is not, is not infallible. It's not foolproof. If you continue to do what is wrong over and over, if you continue to tell yourself that something wrong is actually right for you to do, you can sear your conscience. 
You can burn your conscience so it doesn't feel anymore. It's kind of like when you get calluses on your fingertips and you lose that, that feeling. See, you can do that to your own internal moral compass that is your conscience. And let me just say that as a Christian person, one of the most valuable things that you can have to keep you on the straight and narrow is a clear conscience. If you have to keep your conscience clear at all times, if you cannot lie, if you will not allow yourself to lie because you won't go against conscience, man, that'll keep you from a lot of hidden sin and a lot of trouble if you have a sharp, active conscience going. But if you continue to do things, you know they're wrong and you keep doing them, well, you burn over your conscience and it stops working. So again, what is the thing that defiles somebody's conscience? Well, go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Everybody turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Is this an intellectual problem? Do I need to go and argue with someone about what's going on in their uh, conscience and prove to them that there is a moral right or wrong? Do I need to start debating things like the murder of babies and abortion or the fact that it's not okay for two men to get married? Is that, do I need to start debating that in our culture and getting in arguments with people or can I appeal to people's consciences? Well, unfortunately, when they go against their conscience, look at what this prophetic word here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, page 992. If you got one of our books, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Okay? So in the later times, which I would think that we are living in right now in the year 2016, 2,000 years since the time of Jesus Christ, in the later times, let me, let me just tell you what the Spirit says is going to happen. We're going to see a lot of departure from the faith. And people are going to start devoting themselves to lying, deceitful spirits, to the teachings of demons, all kinds of false religions. Maybe not even false religions, maybe even worldview philosophies. Maybe atheism kind of is the new religion where you're a, you believe in the power of human beings to be good and you can do what you want with your own body, teachings of demons. And who's leading these false movements away from the faith that is in Jesus Christ? Well, it's insincere liars who have seared their own consciences and they've lost their moral compass and maybe they know they're off the right, off, off the rails and they're just going into sin and they're leading everybody else with them. Or maybe they're just deceived themselves and they don't know they're leading everybody into it. But that's the day and age we're living in, Okay. Now, you could give people history lessons, you could go and argue about morality with people, but the problem is their conscience is seared because of the sin that they are engaging in in their lives. So your argumentation, how is your argumentation going to stop the sin and the effect of the sin in their life? Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's another similar prophecy. This is in the last writing of Paul to his true disciple Timothy that he empowered to do the gospel work and to preach the word, whether people wanted to hear it or not. Look what he says, 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days, and again, I would, I would argue that's the time that we're living in, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. 
It's going to be hard for the faith in the last days. People, see if this describes our fellow Americans, people like us. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. Here's a key one for us. Without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness. Oh, it looks like they want to live for God or do what it's right, but denying its power. Avoid such people. And then it goes on to describe these people, and it's describing people who are even creeping in in churches who are like this, okay? Not just people out there in the world, but people who are coming into the church like this, okay? So we can keep telling people about creation. It's evident. It's plain. The reason they're not getting it isn't because we're not doing a good job explaining it or because it's this intellectual thing. It's because they're suppressing the truth by their sin. We can keep arguing, and we should keep standing up that abortion is murder and same-sex marriage is not what God intended for human flourishing, and we should make these arguments. But the reason people are losing that sense of right and wrong is they're searing their conscience by burning it by repeated sin in their life. So we're starting to see what the problem is, is people want to sin, and this sin that they want to do is having these negative effects, and God's giving them over, and his judgment on them, his wrath on them, is letting them continue in their sin. Now go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, because there's, there's the most important thing we want to share with people. It's not even really creation, although that's a good foundation. And, and it's not even really the conscience, although we need that, because we have to help people see that they're a, a sinner, and we have to appeal to their conscience that told them they've done at least something wrong in their life, if not many things wrong in their life. But here we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is really what we want to tell people about, Okay. This is really our main mission. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Hey, if it's hard to get the good news out there, don't lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. No, by the open statement of the truth. We would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Hey, oh, I thought consciences maybe weren't going to work after they were seared. No, Paul's still appealing to people's consciences. He's still acting like everyone should believe in creation. He's still acting like there's a right and wrong as he appeals to people. And, and then he says this, verse 3, And even if our gospel is veiled, even if people aren't seeing what we're saying, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. No, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the main thing we want to tell people, we might start with creation, we might appeal to their conscience, but we want to tell them about Christ, but the problem in telling them about Christ is Christ can't be seen by the blind. That's point number three. Christ can't be seen by the blind, okay? So 
we should keep saying these things. These things are true. These truths are self-evident, that there is a creator. Everyone has a conscience. And the only way to be saved that we proclaim is the name of Jesus Christ. But people are going to suppress the truth in their sin. They're going to sear their consciences. And they can't even see Jesus and all of his glory and all of his goodness and how he came down to save them by dying for that sin and rising again. They can't even see do you see how evangelism is such an impossible mission for any of us? The idea that you could know a little bit more and then all of a sudden people would start seeing you have way underestimated how bad it is out there. Okay? Like it's hopeless unless God is going to shine his light into this person to open their eyes to the creator, to, to help them see how they are in their sin so that they could see the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like what you and I say is not what's going to make the difference. God has to shine the light of Jesus Christ. That's what we're hoping in. We're not hoping in how we present it. We're not hoping in the fact that I've been studying up and I've been learning more. Man, I've been with a lot of people who knew so much they were not good evangelists at all, okay? Because they started to underestimate the problem. They started to think that their intellect could somehow like put a pebble in somebody's shoe or just help somebody think about something. Like I'm going to crack their blindness with my words. Like I'm going to somehow unsear their conscience or I'm going to convince them that there really is a creator. No, they want to sin and I can't change their heart. I can't get to the inner man. I mean, evangelism is mission impossible unless it's God speaking through me to this person, okay? And if my goal is to have God speaking through me, then the only thing that really matters is that I, I don't need to come up with what to say or know a lot to say or be super smart. No, I just want to say what God says. That's how I'm going to do it. I just got to know what God says here, and if I repeat what God says to other people, if I use the same words that God uses, if I even point to people some of these passages, the passages may be in our track, well, then God can shine the light of Jesus Christ, and God can open eyes, and God can turn people around, and God can cause people to get down on their knees and worship him. I'm just here to be used by God. That's all. I'm just a vessel, see. I'm not really bringing anything to it. It's God doing his work through me. Does everybody see this? Does everybody see what I'm saying? So the idea that, well, the, you know, my pastor, he can really evangelize people. Or people are more likely to get saved if they talk to my pastor. I don't think we really understand how lost people are or how God does the work of salvation when we start bringing out special people who will somehow help people get saved more than other people. Any one of us can be used by God to lead someone to salvation because we have nothing to do with it. No one will ever be in heaven saying, I'm so glad that, that Bobby Blakey saved me. Or I'm so glad. And that guy, Frank Poyer, and, and uh, you know, uh, he, from the guy from Argentina, we meet him in heaven, and he's like, it was all Frank's doing. They're not even going to notice we're there. They're going to be so busy worshiping and giving the glory to Jesus Christ. Okay? Maybe at some point we'll hang out and we'll, we'll give some nucks about it or something like that. But if anybody goes up to Frank and says, wow, Frank, the way you explained it to me, the track that you used, the deliciousness of the ice cream, it all affected my salvation. Wow, Frank. I mean, you know what Frank's going to say? He's going to say, I had nothing to do with it. That's what he's going to say. It wasn't what I said, right? 
I mean, how would you feel if somebody around here started taking credit? Yeah, I've saved three people this year here at Compass HP. Where do you see the next baptism? A couple of my people are coming up. <laughs> They're probably going to name drop me, you know? It's going to be good, right? You would be like, repent and give the glory to God. You had nothing to do with it. But all of a sudden, when we're going out to evangelize, we think we're going to do something about it. Dun, dun, dun. And then we kind of realize, oh, I can't do anything about it. Good. That's right where we want you for Team Evangelism Compass HB. When you are convinced that you can do nothing to help somebody get saved, man, please come out with us, okay? Because that's where the power of God is going to show up and he's going to work through us because we're not going to be tempted to give the glory to ourselves or to anybody else. And we're going to see it how it really is. If his light doesn't shine, nobody's eyes are opening, nobody's seeing Jesus, nobody's getting saved. It's all about God letting his light of the knowledge of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ shine so that people can see the face of Jesus and then salvation takes place. And we just need to get out of the way and open our mouths and let God do his work. And so, I'm, I mean, sometimes people who think they're hardcore, all about it, evangelists, they're not going to be very helpful. Because we don't need the A-team. We don't need some super kind of knowledgeable person. We need empty vessels ready to be used by the Lord. We need people who know they can't do anything. Because look at the problem. They love darkness, their works are evil, they don't even really care what we're saying to them. They're not even interested. I mean, most Americans don't even find Christianity appealing these days. They don't even want to hear about it. So, I mean, the idea that, well, I could talk them into it, we just need to throw that idea aside here tonight, and we need to say, I'm just here to be used by God. Let's let him speak through me. So turn your handout over, and now we're going to see things we actually can do on the other side. Sermon part two. Go back to John chapter three with me, all right? So are you saying there's nothing we can do about it? Well, yes. I am saying there's nothing you can do about it, but then also the scripture gives us some things to do, and that's the amazing antinomy between God's sovereignty and our human responsibility that God does all the work, but yet he has laid out some clear things that he expects us to do as his people. I don't think that anybody here is going to help anybody get saved in any kind of spiritual way, but I've also given everybody here a tract that I'm expecting you to go try out on somebody so that God can use you. So at one point, we admit we can do nothing, but then God is telling us to do something. And look even what it says here in John 3. Look back at verses 19, 20, and 21. It says, okay, the light has come into the world. We know what that's all about. We've been studying John. On Christmas Eve, we did a whole night on the light of the world. His name is Jesus Christ, right? So the light of the world, he came in, and uh, people love the darkness rather than the light. The problem is their sin. Their, their works are evil. And so everyone who lives in this wicked sin, they hate the light. They don't want to come. They don't, they don't especially want to hear about repentance or anything like that. No, they don't want their works to be exposed. They want to keep it secret, keep it safe, keep on living the way that they're living. But here's a different kind of person. This is us now. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. There's a person who's okay with having everything in their life exposed. There's a person who's okay with being honest and open, and they have a clear conscience about what's going on. There's someone who can come to the light. 
And when this person comes to the light, what you see, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in, who does it say there? God. So there is someone who is willing to, to come to the light. There is someone who is now referred to even as the light of the world. Who are these people? They're the people who God has done his work in them. That's us, okay? So what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to come to the light. We're even supposed to shine the light of the world. We're supposed to shine the fact that we are new creations in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. And when we live out our Christian life, it exposes the works of darkness. It lights up this world of sin. And it shows people there's actually another way to live than works of evil. There are people who can actually walk in righteousness, people who have been saved by Jesus Christ. That's us, okay? So we need to shine the light. We need to get out there and expose the darkness. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Let's just look at a few passages that talk about this, okay? So we're, we're trying to recruit everybody here who's in this room, everybody who's watching on the live stream right now. Hello to all of you who can't be with us. Hello to Scott Shue in Connecticut right now. We love you. So we, we're trying to tell everybody who can hear this, this sermon, maybe even on a recording later if they're not with us in this moment of time, we're trying to recruit everybody to team evangelism here at Compass HP, okay? Now, here's what, something you really need if you're going to be a part of the evangelism. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. Okay? So now we're not saying Jesus is the light of the world. Now we're saying he's shining through us. You are the light of the world. We're okay with coming to the light because God's done a work in our hearts. We don't love evil and sin. That's not the way we live anymore. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So anybody who's around you, you're going to light them up is what it's saying. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So what are we supposed to do with the light of Jesus Christ that has shone in our hearts so our eyes have been opened, we can see Jesus in all of his glory. We're supposed to let that light shine, right? Do we hide it under a bush? No, won't let Satan it out, right? Come on, come on, who sung the song before right now? Come on, right? I'm supposed to let it shine. Who does it say is supposed to let it shine? Well, no, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, the Frank Poyers, everyone, let it shine, Frank. This one's for you, buddy. No. This is for everybody. If you've got the light, you let it shine. Now, this might seem a little self-righteous here, the way it says it, that they may see your good works. Time out. I thought we weren't supposed to do good works to be seen by other people, okay? Yeah, because well, we don't think we're doing good works in and of ourselves. This isn't about self-righteousness. This isn't about me trying to get anyone to look at me because I've already admitted I'm not bringing anything to it. I'd still be lost in my own sin if it wasn't for God's light shining in on me and helping me to see. God's done the work in me, and now the good works that I do are actually God's work in me. So I'm not doing good works to try to make people think I'm spiritual. No, I'm, I'm living out the light. I'm living out good works because God has done a work in me, and I want everybody to see it. So point number one here on the back of your handout, do good works as God's works. That's the kind of light we're trying trying to shine, okay? And maybe that's even how we should refer to them from this point on is good works. Well, we're not 
we can't do good works to save ourselves. We can't do good works to draw attention to ourselves. No, when we do something good, the reason we do it is it's God working through us. And do we want the world to know that God can save us from our sins, that he's made us new people, that he can cause us to walk in his ways and obey his commands? 100% we want people to know that there is a God of light who shines in the darkness, transforms the darkness, and, and calls us out of that darkness into his marvelous light. So we want people to see God's work in us, and that's what it says will happen. Look at verse 16. So they'll give glory to, who does it say we're giving glory to? Not you, your Father in heaven. Like you're going to start living in such a way as you tell other people the good news, as you shine the light, and we're talking about a lifestyle now. We're talking about your pattern of behavior is going to be so different than the darkness. It's so not going to fit in with the way people live in the here and now in America that people are going to be forced when they really get to know you to realize there's something fundamentally different about you. God has done a work in you, and they're going to see it, and they're going to give him glory. They're going to see the light of God shining through you. And so if you're going to be a part of team evangelism, you've got to be living a life that is shining the light, okay? You can't be doing the sin that everybody else is doing. Okay, the last thing we need is a bunch of hypocrites running out there speaking a lot of Jesus and living a lot of sin in the secret, okay? The world has seen way too much of that, way too much of people who will put on a good show and act like they're shining the light, but it's some fake kind of light because over here, we're still doing the sins that everybody else is doing. We're still doing our old sins, our secret sins. Yeah, we just took them from public view to private view, and, and, but we're still doing them. If that's you, we don't... We don't need your help spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world's had enough of the hypocrisy that Christianity, the church, religion, you name it, they are so sick of the hypocrisy. In fact, most people have experienced hypocrisy in one religion, and now they've written off all religion just because they're so fed up with the fake. We don't need any more of the fake out there. So one requirement to being on team evangelism, more than what you know, is what are you doing in your life? And is your life the kind of example, the kind of pattern that people would follow to get to Jesus Christ? If we followed you around, would it be clear that God has done such a work in you that you would shine like a light in the darkness? Or do you just blend into the darkness when you're in it? That's the question. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Everybody turn with me. 1 Peter chapter 2. Here's another passage that, that, that talks about this lifestyle evangelism, okay? That where you have to live a certain way so people see that you have some kind of credibility. Uh, that you're legit is maybe a way that we would say it today. That, that when I can see this isn't just what he preaches, this is actually what he practices. And that's got to be evident in the way that we live our life. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 talks about us being called out of the darkness and into the light. And right after that, it says this. Look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Stop doing the sins that you used to do when you were walking in your flesh when you didn't see Christ, the same sin that everybody else is doing, that you wanted to do. Well, now we're abstaining from it. Now we're fighting against it. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, those who don't know God like we do, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable 
So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they try to slander you, they falsely accuse you, they may see your good deeds, and who do they end up giving the glory to? You, because you're such a good person? No, they glorify God on the day of visitation. We've got to keep our conduct honorable among those who are in the darkness. We need to be shining the light. And the light in the scripture has a moral connotation. There should be a moral difference between me and you than our unbelieving neighbors and co-workers and family members. There should be things that they are okay with doing that you and I are not okay with doing. There should be things that we do that they don't see the point in doing, all right? There has to be a black and white, dark to light difference in the way that Christian people live and the way that our fellow Americans live. We need to be the light to their darkness, all right? So let's just realize that we might be a poor reflection of the light of Jesus Christ if we allow the, the flesh to continue in our lives, okay? So more, I'm more concerned here at our church, not with what you know to say to people about the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm more concerned with what you are showing people the good news of Jesus looks like in your life. That's a far greater concern, okay? Now, we're not looking for perfect people. We're not looking for 100% righteous saints. We, we understand that this is not about reaching perfection. That's our goal. We're heading in that direction, all right? No one here is claiming to be perfect, to be fully sanctified and glorified here tonight. None of, no, we're heading in that direction, though. And heading in that direction is a big deal than people who want to continue to sin, and that's why they stay in the darkness. There needs to be a radical contrast between us and those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. In fact, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's just let this passage convict us if we need to here tonight because the world is such a dark place and they're becoming more and more bold about it. I mean, because I think the church is doing less and less of getting the good word out there into the streets and proclaiming the creator and the conscience and most importantly, the Christ, because that's happening less and less, it seems like the darkness is getting more and more bold in our day and our time as prophesied in 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 3. And so here's the standard that we should be having as believers. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. Start with me in verse 3. I mean, see if this is a word that we need as the light here in America tonight. It says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness but must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let's just, let's just think that through. Sexual immorality must not even be named among you. Another way that's translated sometimes is there's not even a hint of sexual immorality among uh, God's people, as is proper for saints. And whenever you see the word saints, you could think of holy ones. You could think of the ones set apart, the ones who are ready to come to the light because God's done a work in them and they're not in the darkness anymore. It is not appropriate for even a hint of sexual immorality to be something we're watching. Something we're trying to look at, something that we're thinking about in our thoughts. Is that the standard we're still holding ourselves to as the church, as the light here in America today? Because the standards around us are so low. I, I mean, it feels to me like if you're watching television or if you're watching a movie trailer, like now they give those ratings like rated MA or rated R, and they start to list like it's the preview of coming attractions of what you might see in this film. 
I mean, it's almost like we're not warning you to stay away. It's like we're inviting you to come look at it because look what good stuff we've got in this movie. Hey, are we not even being named among us? Not even a hint of that stuff among us? That's the light that it's talking about. Look at verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. I mean, foolish talk, filthiness, crude joking. For you may be sure of this, that everyone, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let's just make it very clear here tonight. People who continue in the sin of sexual immorality, they're not going to heaven. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of life is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern, try to make good decisions about what is pleasing to the Lord, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Underline verse 11. Write this down. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. There's a command for us here tonight. Hey, I can't reach those in the darkness if I'm doing the deeds of darkness myself. All right? So see how immediately we're starting to get a perspective that evangelism may not be so much about what I know or what I'm going to say to people as how I live and what I show to people. And I need to make sure that I am radiating the light because if I'm radiating the light, people who, people who don't use, I don't use the swear words that they use. I don't laugh at the jokes that they do. I don't watch the shows that they do. Like all you got to do is not swear in America and people are going to be like, what's your problem? All you got to do is just not see half the movies that are out there and people are going to be like, whoa, man. I mean, do you know, like, do you know how to have fun? Like what's, what's wrong with you, you know? Man, it it is a compliment when people look at you like, hey, you don't do that? Like, what's your problem, you know? Well, it's not my problem. It's called being in the light. That's what it is. God's done a work in my life, and I can't go back to the way that I used to be. He's called me out of that. And see, people, sometimes they won't like it. I mean, sometimes all you got to do, if you're a student here tonight, all you got to do is get an A on your test, and all of a sudden everybody hates you. It's like, wow, you actually study? Because what, 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 what are they feeling? They should have studied themselves. But instead of studying, they were out doing deeds of darkness. And now you show up with the light of a hundred on your paper, and they hate you for it. <laughs> Teacher's pet. I'm just reliving some of my childhood. Anyways, <laughs> we're supposed to stand out. We're supposed to expose the darkness by shining the light. Now, this isn't us drawing attention to ourselves, okay? Let's just make that very clear. This is us showing that God has done a work in us by the way that we live. Are you shining the light by your lifestyle, by your actions, so that the darkness is at least bothered or annoyed by you, if not full-on exposed by you? You should be lighting up everybody in the room. That is the idea with our 
actions, okay? So that's one thing. We've, evangelism is a whole lifestyle of, sh- of shedding the, spreading the gospel. Everybody here should be doing it, and it starts with our actions. Before we say anything, it starts in the way that we live. Now turn over to Colossians chapter 4, just a few pages over to the right. Colossians chapter 4, okay? Let's go back to Mission Impossible. People, they, they don't believe that God's the creator, even though it's evident because of their unrighteousness. Their conscience seared. They can't see Christ because they're blinded over here in the darkness, right? So mission impossible. I have to start with the reality that I cannot convince by my words, by talking, anybody to believe in Jesus. So before I ever say anything to another human being about Jesus Christ, I need to pray for God to open their eyes because it's not going to happen by me speaking to them. God's the one who has to do it. So before we do evangelism and talk to anybody else, we got to talk to God first. That's why sometimes we say evangelism is two conversations. And given the gospel is the second conversation, prayer for the person you're going to give the gospel to, that comes first. Look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Pray that God will open a door to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So let's get this down for point number two. You want to pray for open doors to open eyes, okay? We're praying for open doors to open eyes. We're acknowledging to God before we ever talk to anybody that we can't even create the opportunity for a conversation, much less cause anything to happen in that person's heart to call them out of the darkness and bring them in the light. So we're declaring 100% dependence on God to do anything through us. If anything's going to happen, he's going to have to be the one shining the light. And so we go and pray. And we'll notice one thing it says to pray for is an open door for the word. And that's in the point there. But under the point, right, pray for clarity as you speak. Okay? And that's something I'm hoping this tract will help all of us with is just the clarity of the verses being right there, the definitions being right there. And I'm hoping that can be a tool that can help with the clarity. But we are supposed to, following the example of Paul at least, pray for clarity. Look at what it says in verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. See, I'm realizing I have limited opportunities with the people around me, so I want to make the most of them. So I'm praying for them. Let me just tell you, one of the most exciting things you can ever do in your entire life is take Paul's example in Colossians 4 to heart and start praying for open doors on a regular basis. Okay? Let me just warn you right now. Do not pray this unless you are ready to actually talk to people about Jesus Christ. Because when you pray for open doors, what starts happening? Anybody start praying for open doors before in your life? It's a life-changing experience. I mean, all of a sudden, you'll be talking to people, and you'll feel the hardness of heart. You'll feel the fact that they can't see. You'll just feel like there's nowhere. And all of a sudden, it'll be like almost sometimes you could see it somehow. It's so clear. It's so evident. It's like this door opens up, and this person just invites you to give them the good news of Jesus Christ. And you're just like, how did this conversation just go from from that to this all of a sudden? 
I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing when you see it. Like, there's no way I thought this person would just say what they just said. And now here I am speaking to them the gospel. I mean, God has created here an opportunity. And when I see those opportunities, I want to make the most of them. So I pray for them, and then I try to make the most of them. Look what it says in verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, always speaking kindly, gently, respectfully, out of love. More on that tomorrow night if you come back. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So where is my confidence in what to say coming from? Not from me, but in me praying to God, asking him to give me an open door, and asking him to open their eyes. My confidence comes from the idea that he is going to make his appeal through me. Go back to Ephesians, and let's look at chapter 6. Just another great passage. And hopefully some of these passages we're looking at are familiar uh, but these aren't just knowledge passages. Oh, I know that. No, this is all news to use here. This is all stuff that should be motivating evangelism in our life. Ephesians chapter 6, look at what it says here in verse 18. We're praying at all times. And sometimes in the morning for a, for a long time, in the evening for a long time, and then throughout the day asking God for open doors, opportunities. I'm praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then Paul says, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth. Okay? So we are praying for words when we open our mouth. Write that down under point number two. You're praying for clarity there, and you're praying for the words to say when you open your mouth, that, that God's giving you words, not that you already know words. No, God is giving you words to say. He's speaking through you. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for that, that words may be given to me and open my mouth boldly. And can you just write down, if you're taking notes, boldly equals speaking freely. That's what I think boldness is in the New Testament. I'm not worried about what people are going to think, how they're going to receive it, how they're going to respond. I'm just speaking it boldly. And then uh, what am I going to say? Well, here, let me just make one more argument for one of the words that I think God will put on your heart to speak out of your mouth when you talk to people. Point number three, you need to spread the word, and the word is repentance, okay? Repentance. Okay? As we get out there with our three most important words, coming from Mark 1.15, and we explain to people the gospel, repentance, and faith. Now, someone once accused me. They said, I don't think repentance should be right next to faith. Somebody came up to me after a sermon, and they wanted to argue. I don't think repentance should be right next to faith. In fact, it definitely shouldn't be in front of faith. Um, I don't like, I think repentance, if you're going to even use it, it should be number three. That's what somebody said to me one time after a sermon right here at this church, right? Getting into it. And I had to admit, you know, you're right. I do have the words in the wrong order because the truth is repentance is actually the first word that Jesus says. And I kind of softballed it by putting gospel in there first. So you're right. I've got it in the wrong order. It's not the way you want me to go with it, but you're right. I, 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 am I bad, right? I had to admit, you're right. I should be leading with repentance, okay? Let me just tell you that repentance is the word that is used in scripture as the leadoff because if the real reason people don't believe is they want to, then the thing we really need to be saying aren't all these intellectual arguments, it's repent. It's turn from your sin. It's change your mind that sin is the thing you want to do. It's make it a 180 degree about face right now, okay? 
And if we're going to see the work of Jesus Christ spread here in Huntington Beach, in Fountain Valley, at Cal State Long Beach tonight, at Golden West College tomorrow, if we're going to see the work of Jesus spread, then we're going to have to use the word repent, okay? Let me just say this, and I'm going to keep saying this until people, and I'm not talking about like, hey, we should fight for repentance. I want you to tell someone you know that they should repent of their sin. And if it feels too intense for you to say repent, you can say, well, Jesus said you should repent. You can throw it to him if you want, all right? But you just need to understand, if there's one thing we need to know as New Testament believers, and I'm going to keep harping on this until somebody takes me off the stage or until everybody around here starts using the word repent, all right? Because when John the Baptist showed up and he was preaching, what was the first word that it says John the Baptist said in Matthew chapter 3? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John gets arrested. They throw him in jail. Jesus shows up. He starts preaching. What's the first word it ascribes to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The apostles, they start preaching. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. People are like, brothers, what do we do to be saved? And the first word out of Peter's mouth in Acts 2.38 is what? Repent. Martin Luther. He goes to the Wittenberg door. He nails his 95 theses. He's ready to take down Roman Catholicism and start the great reformation that is studied in human history across the world. And he puts 95 things up on the door. And what is the number one thing that he says right away? Well, here it is. He says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, Matthew 4, 17, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. When God has done a great work among human beings, he has addressed the real reason they don't believe, which is they want to sin, and the way you call people out is not intellectual arguments. You use the word that John the Baptist, Jesus, the apostles, and Martin Luther used. You tell people to repent. And you let God speak through you. You don't get to decide what to say. You're just the messenger. And God speaks through you. And you will have the blessing if you live in the light. And if you pray for open doors. And if you call people to the gospel, repentance, and faith. You, if you stick with it, you will see the light of Jesus shine in someone's heart. And you will see their eyes opened. And you will see their conscience come back to life. And you will see them start to enjoy the things of life that the creator has given us. We will see the light shine if we let it shine. If we are those who can come to the light and show that our works have been carried out in God. I hope that you will join our team of evangelists here at Compass HP. There's more tomorrow night, and we're going out Saturday morning. We'll meet here at 9 for some training, and we'll go out at 10. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this special night that we could gather together, that we could hand out this tract based on what Jesus says in Mark 1.15, these three most important words. And God, that we could be challenged from your word about what we really need to think about when we spread the gospel. God, I just pray that you'll forgive us if we have any pride in thinking that something we might say or the way that we might say something would lead someone to, to see Jesus Christ. God, humble us here tonight. Let us all admit to you right now that we can do nothing in the salvation of other souls, that we did nothing in our own salvation, that it is only you shining your light into our hearts that allowed us to see Jesus. And it's only you, God, shining your light into the hearts of others that will open their eyes to see Jesus Christ. So God, let us have so much confidence in you and less of ourselves. 
And God, use us. Let us be the vessels. Let us be your mouthpieces. Let us be the people, every single one of us, God. Let us be the ones that spread the gospel, repentance, and faith. Let us see a resurgence of the gospel ringing out in our lifetime. And let us shine the light by the way that we live, God. Let the darkness be exposed in these last days by few of us who will still go out there and let our light shine. We pray this in the name of the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Amen. lost in darkness I walked towards my own grave though I didn't count the cost I looked for life of this world Broken sisters that's me thirsty for more But then you came to seek and to say Jesus Christ You broke through my night Jesus Christ Light of life I've seen you Lord
I was lost in darkness I walked but now I follow the light 